This is 99 Novels, a podcast by the International Anthony Burgess Foundation. In 1984, the writer Anthony Burgess selected his 99 favourite novels in English since the outbreak of the Second World War. Never short of an opinion about books, Burgess's list is typically idiosyncratic and invites closer attention, so we've invited some of the leading scholars, critics and writers to tell us more about each of the 99 novels. So read along with us as we explore a reading list created by one of the most original literary voices of the 20th century. Welcome to the first in a new series of podcasts from the Burgess Foundation. We're exploring Anthony Burgess's book 99 Novels, in which he selects his favourite works of fiction in the period from 1939 to 1984. The first question an attentive reader may ask is why this period? In his introduction, Burgess explains that it's, quote, poetic to begin with the beginning of a world war and to end with the non-fulfilment of a nightmare. The nightmare in question being George Orwell's dystopian novel 1984. This explanation may not make the date seem any less arbitrary, but whether by design or luck, this period covers many of the most important and most influential novels of the 20th century. The next question is surely, why 99 novels? Here Burgess doesn't explain himself, apart from to say that, quote, the reader can decide his own hundredth. We have taken this as an invitation to ask each of our guests which hundredth book they would add to the list. It's our hope that this will create an alternative 99 novels that the intrepid reader can tackle once Burgess's list is complete. You'll be able to find this on our website. Each episode will be accompanied by a list of all the books mentioned and all the relevant links which you will find in the episode description. You can also join the discussion by using the hashtag 99novels on Twitter, or you can share your choice for your 100th novel in the review space or comment section wherever you get your podcasts. For the first episode, we're going right to the beginning of Burgess's list, the year 1939, and an author who perhaps influenced Burgess the most throughout his career, James Joyce. The novel on Burgess's list is Finnegan's Wake, Joyce's strange and experimental follow-up to Ulysses. Finnegan's Wake has a dreamlike circular narrative which ostensibly tells the story of pub landlord Humphrey Chimpton Earwicker and his family, who live in Dublin's Chapel Izzard neighbourhood. The narrative is told in several sections, in which the identities of the main characters are in flux, culminating in Earwicker's wife transforming into the River Liffey. Throughout the novel, Joyce uses allusions to various different sources including the Bible, classical myth, chivalric romance and the raucous ballads he heard on the streets of Dublin. The title of the novel is shared by one such ballad, which tells the story of a bricklayer who falls off a ladder and dies, only to be revived at his own wake by a splash of Irish whiskey. This story is retold in the first section of Joyce's novel. It's an undeniably difficult novel to understand, but Burgess attempted to make it more approachable for the general reader when he published The Shorter Finnegan's Wake, 
an edited version of the novel intended to highlight the themes and narrative beats. Throughout his life, he remained beguiled by Joyce's most complex novel, writing in 99 novels that, quote, no writer of the contemporary period has been able to ignore it, though most writers have succeeded in not being influenced by it. To introduce us to Finnegan's Wake, we invited Enrico Terranoni onto the podcast. Enrico is Professor of English Literature at the Università per Stranieri di Perugia and Professor of Translation at IULM, University of Milan. He has held many fellowships at universities in Ireland and America, including University College Dublin and Notre Dame University. As a translator into Italian, he has worked on authors such as George Orwell, Muriel Spark, Brendan Behan, Oscar Wilde and George Bernard Shaw. He translated Finnegan's Wake into Italian with Fabio Pedone, and in 2021 published the first ever bilingual annotated translation of Ulysses. He is currently working on a book about the quantum theory of literature and probabilistic interpretation, and he's editing, with Declan Kybird and Catherine Wilsden, a book on Ulysses entitled The Book About Everything, which will be published in June 2022 by Head of Zeus. I'm Graham Foster of the Burgess Foundation, and I spoke to Enrico Terranoni in December 2021. Enrico, thanks for joining us on the 99 Novels podcast. Uh, today we're, we're talking about Finnegan's Wake, and we, we start off these podcasts by asking the people that we're interviewing about their, their own personal connection with the book that's on, on Burgess's list. So when did you first discover Finnegan's Wake and, and what did you make of it? Uh, now, I was working on my PhD dissertation up in Dublin, so it must have been uh, 2000 and 2001, um, and I was working on Ulysses. So a lot of, le- lots, uh, lots of references, lots of reference works uh, I used to make the connection between Joyce's Book of the Dark, uh, Finnegan's Wake, and Joyce's Book of the Day, Ulysses. So I guess I began uh, being tempted to approach this, um, this dark uh, text. Um, in those years, I also had uh, the luck to attend in Rome one of the very rare lectures of the Italian translator of Finnegan's Wake, Luigi Scanoni. And I was fascinated by his narrative of, of how he approached the book and what he had done with it uh, and to it in translation. So years later, uh, I would have uh, studied closely his own translation alongside Joyce's own Italian translation of uh, of one chapter of the book, the Anna Livia chapter in, in, in book one. So when, together with Fabio Pedone, I began resuming the translation of Finnegan's Wake after uh, this guy uh, had died in 2008. Uh, we also looked closely at uh, what other scholars had uh, said about Finnegan's Wake. And the Italian scholar Umberto Ego um, had made uh, a lot of very good comments on previous Italian, Italian translations. So I guess uh, we started working on the Wake uh, back then, and because there was such an interest in, in Italian, and because Jimmy Joyce had translated the book into Italian himself, uh, not the book, I mean, just one, one chapter, but probably one of the most important chapters. So I guess that uh, when we started working on the wake as translators, uh, uh, we had to do it in a more scholarly way. So you could not just be fascinated by the book. You also had to study a lot. So I guess uh, at the beginning, I was afraid of Finnegan's Wake. Then I became uh, very interested. And then I had to do a lot of homework. And, and we'll talk about, about your role as a translator a bit later on. Finnegan's Wake is part of 
uh, a selection of books that begin the list. So the books that were published in 1939. Uh, why do you think Burgess chose to begin his list with Finnegan's Wake and, and the year 1939? What what sort of reputation did the novel have in 1984 when Burgess was compiling? His- no, I, I think it, it all derives directly from um, Burgess's democratic take on Joyce, uh, which is very rare, really. I, I think that he could see through the darkness of Joyce's obscure book, and he found that there was indeed some light in it, and I think he wanted to share that light. Um, now, what what's the reputation of the wake? Well, what was the reputation of the wake back in 1984? I think that most people, even now in the anglophone world, probably have to thank uh, Borges for having introduced them to this uh, great book. Unlike uh, novelists like Nabokov, who loved Ulysses but disregarded The Wake as provincial literature, uh, Burgess knew that Joyce's last book was a sort of window open on the future. Uh, He probably also grasped that uh, in this book, Joyce had tried to give us the chance to understand more fully that we are uh, our own opposites. And we better accept that if you wish to live better lives. So the reputation of the wake was this book was for scholarly, uh, for for study, for for scholars. Uh, and and what Burgess tried to do was he tried to share uh, its light with with the people, thanks uh, to his lectures, but also his editorial uh, ventures. On that subject, I mean Burgess wrote, "Here comes everybody." His his study long study of Joyce and he, he produced the shorter Finnegan's Wake which was to act as an introduction to to the general reader for, for Finnegan's Wake. His his take was as you say that Joyce's work particularly Ulysses primarily engaged with the quotidian lives of the common man. Uh, do, do you think that's also true of Finnegan's Wake? Yes uh, I do think so. Uh, I think the wake is a sort of extension of of the message of Ulysses, uh, as I said, the, the Wake is the book of the night. Ulysses is probably more of a book of the day. But the way that the, that Ulysses ends um, makes us aware that there is a continuation, and this continuation is the Wake. The Wake is full of popular culture, and there are a lot of ballads uh, in it, a lot of pop songs. There is Shakespeare. Uh, there are uh, newspaper bits. There is the Bible. So it is not a highbrow text in the least in my opinion, and I think also in, in Borges's opinion. Uh, however, since it is the book of the night, uh, all in it is told as in a gigantic dream, which uh, includes uh, other dreams. So basically everyone is someone else in, in, in Finnegan's Wake, just as everyone is someone else in our dreams. Uh, for instance, uh, Shakespeare becomes God, uh, for, it is called, for he is called Shakespeare. That is, he who shapes spheres and globes. But uh, that's also he who shapes fears. So globe is, 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 mm, the globe is the world, and the, the, the sphere is the globe. But if you uh, hear uh, this word in a different way, it becomes fear. So I guess that in George's time, Shakespeare was part of popular culture, and so was God, of course. Uh, but the wake is an attempt to bring forth uh, what is obscure in our in our lives, and Joyce knew that most of our lives uh, is an obscure affair. So this is, I guess, the the quotidian uh, message. We need to understand our own obscurity. Burgess sort of talks 
in many many different places about Finnegan's Wake. So it sort of makes sense that that it is part of the ninety nine novels book. Um, in in his review within that book, he he says that Finnegan's Wake marks the end of the modernist period that began in nineteen twenty two with Ulysses in the Wasteland, particularly in in Burgess's vision. Ulysses in the Wasteland are the two sort of uh, modernist texts that that define an entire generation. Um, do you think the statement that that Finnegan's Wake is the end of that period is is accurate? Now, um, as a critic uh, and as a reader of Joyce, I I never really like div- dividing up the history of literature into periods or eras. And um, for modernism, is is really a, a mixed bag of many things. And I agree with uh, what Umberto Eco said once. Uh, he said that Joyce had a medieval mind, so it was it was acting uh, as if uh, he could uh, turn into a medieval writer. So that does not mean that he was not modern, but rather that he understood uh, with Karl Marx that poetry is always poetry of the future, for it is able to uh, take the past and turn it into something new and exciting all the time. So I think that what we call modernism is a contradictory uh, time in which works as different as Joyce's, Eliot's, uh, Pound's, Wolf's and Lawrence's were produced. They do have a lot in common, but I think the differences are more important. It does not uh, happen with the Victorian era of realism uh, when, uh, where, when a lot of authors and their novels uh, share many crucial features. Whereas as for Joyce and Wolf, for example, Somebody like me, I like them both, but for different reasons. Just like I, I love tea and I love whiskey. They're different things, but we can love them uh, at the same time. But I don't think that Burgess loved uh, Wolf uh, as he loved Joyce, though. No, I think the same can be said for, for the sort of postmodern era, that, that it's sort of grouped together in this in this uh, mm-hmm. blob, really. And and the, the, the novels that were produced under the, the sort of, that have been categorised under the banner of postmodern are all, very different, and um, Burgess himself is can be viewed as a postmodern writer, but but he's coming at postmodernism through Joyce in a way. He's taking elements of Joyce and experimenting with those within his own novels. Um, so th- there's that sort of connection between what Burgess is doing and what what uh, was happening in in the twenties. But Finnegan's Wake is. Uh, without doubt a very difficult book in in many different ways the narrative is is uh quite fluid really it doesn't it doesn't lend itself to interpretation very easily so so what advice would you give to someone who is just about to to start reading finnegan's wake are, are there any strategies uh there to aid in the understanding of the novel okay my first advice uh, would would be to get a copy of the short finnegan's wake uh, readers will find a lot of amusing stories there about the wake, about what the wake can be, what the wake was for Burgess. So it is in many ways, I think, an intelligent and elegant simplification of the novel, of course, for it attempts to tell a story. But critics nowadays don't always agree on what the story of the wake is. But at the same time, this is Burgess' story about what the story of the wake is or could be. And I guess uh, Burgess is a great companion to James Joyce. He gives us his own version, uh, and he, he privileges some aspects of it over others. 
but at the same time, it tells us that the wake can be read uh, more or less like uh, we would listen to a CD. Uh, like we can skip through bits. If we don't like a track, we can go to the next track. And in the end, if we do like the, the author and the work, we will probably like also the, the, the tracks that we skipped before. Uh, what about, I mean, you said strategies. Uh, I think readers should either uh, read it aloud first or listen to one of the great audiobooks. Because the, the, what, the wake, uh, what the wake does is it changes our perception uh, of what literature should be, if it is literature at all. In fact, Samuel Beckett said that this book can be, can be heard, can be listened to. It is a book that dances when the, when the words dance. So it is a book that does many things uh, at time. I think that the, uh, uh, the musical part of it uh, makes for the initial spell, the real enchantment. And if readers uh, like what they hear, they will easily find the, a lot of resources online and they will find their own strategies. I don't think that there is one strategy. Uh, some uh, scholars in the past would go for it would search for a plot but plot in Finnegan's Wake is not probably the most important thing because first of all there is not one plot there are so many plots that coexist and uh, as I said it is a it is a dream made of dreams and uh, plots in dreams are sometimes contradictory so I think that the first thing would be to listen to it and probably if they like what they hear they would find their own way Okay, and and there are, there is actually recordings of of Joyce reading uh, sections of of Finnegan's Wake, isn't there? Yeah, yeah, Joyce did it. Uh, now there is also now a complete uh, audiobook. It's it's wonderful, and and there are so many recordings around. I mean, even in different languages. But uh, seriously, the Wake is probably meant not just to be read in the usual way. And this is also a popular feature if we think of the way that uh, realistic novels in the 19th century were read aloud in the family. Like the, the, the father, the, the head of the family would read a, a novel to, uh, to the kids around a fireplace. So uh, The Finding Wake is an oral uh, type of book. So it can be read, but it can be listened to, it can be even uh, admired and watched sometimes, because you, you, when you see that a word changes meaning by changing just one letter, you know, that, that's almost kind of, a, it works almost like a picture, almost like a visual art. Uh, that's really interesting, uh, thinking of it as a, a, an oral story. And do you think that highlights what Joyce is doing with with uh, sort of Irish myth or, or or those sorts of stories that are folk tales that are are sort of passed down in things like like the oral tradition or or song even because there's a song called Finnegan's Wake, isn't there? Yes, yes. Um, I, I think that you, you you're right. Uh, what George is doing, among so many things, is he's trying to go back to the roots of uh, Irish culture, which is an oral culture. Uh, it is, or even today, if we go to an Irish pub, no, not now in COVID times, but uh, the, the storytelling is probably paramount in any in any environment when, uh, where Irish people meet. But uh, Irish culture has always been an oral culture, and Finnegan's Wake brings out 
this very hidden core of Irish literature. Now, when you said myth, uh, I'm kind of thinking of what Joyce does with Irish myth. He revives uh, old myth. There is a lot of hidden history in Finnegan's Wake, and one of his uh, intentions probably to uh, to play with it uh, creatively in order to have it uh, um, live a new life uh, and, and survive, really, survive uh, the death of culture, which uh, sometimes is accompanied by the death of language. Ulysses, obviously from its title, is structured around the, the classical myth. Does Finnegan's Wake use classical myth? In you've mentioned some of the things that it does use, um, but but is are there any, is there anything in Ulysses that could help us understand Finnegan's Wake? Now let's say that uh, there's almost everything in Finnegan's Wake. It would be very difficult to uh, not to find something there. So there is a classical myth. There is, I mean, I wouldn't say that Finnegan's Wake is structured around classical myth as Ulysses is. Uh, sources are uh, 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 there are so many other sources and, and some of them are more important than classical uh, ones like for instance uh, the Bible I was mentioning the Bible before uh, there is a scholar uh, I think it's he's an American scholar Harry Burl who years ago argued that each page of the wake is a sort of rewriting of the Genesis uh, but the Bible is not the only text there I don't know if we can consider the Bible a myth but probably uh, we can, in a way. Uh, I guess for those who want to take a close look at Joyce's major sources in the wake, there's a great uh, study by James Atherton called The Books at the Wake. There they will find uh, many of the sources Joyce played with. Um, but if you ask me uh, what is my, my take on this, um, for my own reading, I think that probably one of the main texts behind the wake is the Egyptian Book of the Dead. Uh, the books of the dead were, in Egyptian times, also in many ways books for the dead. As they, they would be found uh, in, in the graves. Uh, and their future, uh, so the future life of that people would be accompanied by, by the book of the dead. This is what the wake is for me. A book of dead letters, which is uh, letters that were sent, uh, but which never received their addresses. Uh, you probably remember Bartleby, the scrivener. Mm. Uh, those dead letters will become again, become alive again when they will be opened and read by us who are not the, the original addressee. So, uh, in a way, that does not matter. Whoever opens a letter will be able to make something of it. And the books of the dead, uh, there are some, they are called so often in Finnegan's Wake, they work similarly. Once the grave is open, people will read uh, those texts that were meant to be for the dead. All the literary connections and, and the, the allusions that you've mentioned there, they don't uh, sort of speak about Finnegan's Wake as a novel about language. It's a, it's a novel that plays with language. It's a novel that, that, uh, that, that sort of reshapes language in, in to different things. Uh, how does being a translator help your own understanding of the novel? Um, what challenges are presented in the translation of Joyce that that you have to overcome? Hmm. Um, Finnegan's Wake, uh, in my opinion, Finnegan's Wake defies any attempt at translating it. Uh, so I always joke that it's it is almost immoral to to translate Finnegan's Wake because 
where you are, you will be rewriting the book. You, uh, you'll be doing something different. But this is what translation is. And Finnegan's Wake defies translation because it is a translation. It is a continuous self-translation and a translation of the self. It is a book, a, a plurilingual book, a book with so many languages uh, that interact with, with English. So my take on translation in general is that translation is, the word translation is a synonym for change. For when we translate, uh, we change all of the visible and audible features of a text. We, we change everything that can be heard or, or, or looked at. So what is it that remains? Uh, some people think that despite you change everything, what remains is a sense or the spirit of the original text. And I would argue that those senses and those spirits get uh, multiplied in translation. Or if you want to use a word that Joyce invented, those senses will be multiplied. They become plural and multiple at the same time. Uh, professors or translators know this very well. You give a, a, a poem to a class and uh, you will come up with uh, a poem to translate, and you will come up with so many different translations of the same poem. Now, I say I would say that uh, there is a, a, a limited, a finite number of ways uh, to translate a poem, whereas the wake can be translated into an infinite number of ways, because it is not written in any language. And Joyce used to joke that it was written in the language of the river. And he also invented another word, a great word, in the very first pages of the book uh, that captures this uh, plausible and essence. And the word is the adjective imaginable, which puts together imag imaginable, ima imagination, imaginary, and the absence of margins. This is what the wake is. It is a, a book as infinite as the infinite. And, and in that respect, do you think... Uh any translation of Finnegan's Wake would have to be printed alongside the original, as you as you have done in your your latest translation of Ulysses. It's a parallel text. Do you think that that is vital for for the presentation of a translation of Finnegan's Wake? Absolutely, absolutely. We uh, we did it. We did the same with with Finnegan's Wake. When uh, actually this was uh, probably the the one thing that we asked. When I say we, I mean myself and Fabio Pedoni, because. I worked with my friend and colleague. And yes, what we wanted to do was to, uh, to make the audience aware that when you translate, you change everything. And when you translate the wake, you really have to do something that might uh, look uh, distant. Although there is always a connection, of course, between the original text and the translation. But we, first of all, wanted the original text in parallel, printed in parallel. And then we asked the publisher to uh, not to give us any limit to uh, the amount of annotations and the size of those annotations. So for instance, when we came up with the last, our last volume, which includes uh, uh, chapters three and four of book three and book four, and that would be around, I guess, under 50 pages, something like this. Uh, our book uh, is like 800 pages which means under, pages, under 50 pages of original text, under 50 pages of translation, about 400 pages of annotations. But those annotations are narrative annotations. They're not glossaries. Like we try to reconstruct, at the, on the one end, the story of the world that Joyce invented, the allusions and everything, and also the, the pattern that we followed 
for the reconstruction of a new world in this sort of new infinitalian language, in this very strange new language. So I guess that when you translate Finnegan's Wake, you need to be very humble. You need to do your homework, study a lot, and you need to uh, preserve uh, the integrity of Joyce's text. It's fascinating. Uh, uh, thanks for shedding some light on on the, the translation process there. Going back to Burgess and, and his review in 99 novels of Finnegan's Wake, uh, he he claims that that, and I'm quoting here, most writers have succeeded in not being influenced by Finnegan's Wake. Um, what do you think the legacy of the novel is? Is Burgess right in saying that? Uh, do you see its influence in any work being produced today? I think he's right, uh, but I would add to that statement that it is pretty easy not to be influenced by what one has not read. And I don't think that writers uh, sufficiently read or read uh, The Wake. Uh, it is a totally different story when it comes to uh, other, to scientists, for instance, like Nobel Prize Maury Gell-Mann, who took the word quark right from the end of book two of The Wake, or with uh, scientists of the mind like Jacques Lacan, or of language like Derrida and, and so many others. So I think that the legacy of The Wake is possibly still to manifest itself. Uh, but I... I do not. I don't have. I, I, I don't have a direct answer to your question. I do have an indirect answer. The wake has not influenced uh, too many writers, also because writers, most of them, belong to the world of literature. While Finnegan's Wake tries to escape, it is not a, a literary text in the in the way we know literature. I don't. I don't know what the wake is, but I. But it does. Uh, it does not have to, uh, too much to do with literature as we know it, which is some, sometimes, probably too often nowadays, massively regulated, influenced by, by market considerations. Uh, Finnegan's Wake bypasses all that. And that's probably why it is so appealing to people who are not in literary circles, like scientists or psychologists. That, that's fascinating. It's hard indeed to believe a book like Finnegan's Wake, which has the agenda of trying to escape literature, would even be marketable in in today's landscape, really. Mm. Um, it, how, how would you even talk about that in a, in a press release? Um, yes. So, and just one final question, and we're asking this question to everybody that we we talk to on the 99 Novels podcast. If you could choose a hundredth novel to add to Burgess's list, uh, what what would it be and why? I was uh, I was happy to see that Alastair Gray's Lanark is in the list. I remember reading a, a review uh, of Burgess of, of Lanark. And I would certainly add that uh, what Alastair regarded as his best novel should be in the list. It's not Lanark as many believe, but 1982, Janin. Uh, I was lucky enough to be the translator of, of both works, Lanark and this great book. Uh, and, I, and, and, and Gray told me, before he died, he told me that this was his, his favorite book, the favorite book of his, of the ones that he had written. And I think that it's also the most Joycean and even his most Wagen book. So yes, I would add uh, 1982, Janin by Alistair Gray. Enrico, that's brilliant. Thanks for joining us on the 99 Novels podcast. I think you've shed light on on uh, 
one of the most complex books on the list, uh, I would say. And and I hope that it has inspired uh, some people that are listening to to seek it out and, and read it for the first time. Thank you. Thank you, Graham. Great questions. Great conversation. You have been listening to 99 Novels, a podcast by the International Anthony Burgess Foundation. Enrico Terranoni's latest book is an annotated bilingual English-Italian translation of James Joyce's Ulysses, which is out now from Bompiani. Visit the link in the description for more information. If you'd like to get involved in the 99 Novels conversation and tell us what 100th novel you'd add to the list, you can use the hashtag 99novels on Twitter. To find out more about Anthony Burgess and the work of the Burgess Foundation, visit www.anthonyburgess.org. The theme music is Anthony Burgess's Concerto for Flute, Strings and Piano in D minor. It's performed by No Dice Collective, who can be found online at nodicecollective.com. If you have enjoyed this episode, why not leave us a review and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts?